from a radio studio on Long Island, New York. Come two diehard fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else in their distorted minds, it's Brando and Scotto. And this is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 14. Ooh. Holy shit. <laughs> With me, as always, because my name is Brando, is Scotto, comma, Ian. What's going on, hot pants? <laughs> Nothing much, man. This is uh, last few days in New York, and then I go to Vegas for SHOT Show. And, uh, yeah, that's that's about it, man. Who's going to Vegas? I, I am. Vegas, baby! Vegas! <laughs> Did you tell me this? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going. I'm going with you know the company I work for, which is now Hurricane Group, uh, formerly Force Twelve Media, but you guys know him from the Software Podcast. But yeah, I'm going oh, okay. to Shot Show, which is like the big gun trade show, and it'll be interesting. It'll oh, be that's fun cool. Times. I've never been to one, as we discussed in the last episode. The only gun that I've ever <laughs> held is from Duck Hunt. Well, very few people would go to this thing unless you're like in the industry of it. It's it's like Comic Con for guns, which you know it's. I'd rather go to Comic Con for Guns and Roses, but <laughs> <laughs> well played. Yeah. I like that. So yes, episode fourteen of our Guns and Roses podcast. Thank you for uh, downloading on the iHeartRadio app, on iTunes, subscribing on iTunes, getting a lot of wonderful feedback. I, I'm just blown away because this is 2017, where everybody hates everything, and whether it's on our Facebook or our Twitter. In uh, the MyGNR forum, they, they're starting to post our episodes before, before we, we do. do. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of awesome. And people are, it's kind of, it's been, it's kind of a, a paraphrased sentence, but some everyone's been saying, these guys have been doing a good job. That's kind of how it's been phrased. And that's pretty cool. We, we appreciate that. Just talking about Guns N' Roses and doing different kinds of interviews for people with all walks of life. And we uh, have a couple of awesome ones lined up for you in, uh, today in this uh, episode that we're recording. And we just found out. So we got to kind of do our due diligence as two wrestling fans. Rest- I, I'm not, you know. Uh, Did you really like have little, to ruin the moment? I, I like the old school stuff. I, I grew up Snuka, on it. Oh yeah, yeah. super like Jimmy Snuka just died. Well, that is old school. A- exactly, you heartless son of a bitch. <laughs> So, yeah, Jimmy Snooker, who was, I guess, acquitted also of murder he did like 20 years ago. I was going to say, because I remember that, you know, I, I check out what's going on with all these conventions. They have like horror conventions where all these different people come, where it's not just movie stars. And I believe there were some he couldn't do because of this trial. And, yeah, I, I heard all about that. There was some manslaughter thing years ago as we already deviate from the topic at hand. But yeah. just, uh, this is our kind of getting to know you part of the episode. Um Something that happened 20 years ago, and they were saying that he was just not mentally stable then, so he got a pass for it, but he was already dying of cancer. And uh, as we're recording this on um, Sunday, January 15th, Superfly Jimmy Snooker, rest in peace, my man. Yeah. I mean, that, that's uh, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, definitely. Um, Another reason why we, we mentioned this in the last episode, not to uh, cut you off, see your hero, especially wrestlers and rock stars who seem to have a certain... Life, uh, shelf life. Yeah. See them while you can. It, he, well, he had a long one compared to most wrestlers. There's so, this yeah, is very so true. many deaths in wrestling. Um, no, what I was going to say when you were talking about the feedback is 
what really blew me away is that there's people from like South America, people from overseas saying, I love the show. And it's it's international, man. It's people. Somebody from Portugal, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and I believe there's others in, in my GNR forum from all over the world. And uh, that's the beauty of podcasts. Before the world of podcasts, unless they were on your local station, you probably didn't know about what was going on in the radio. So I love it. It's it's very cool, and it, and it show it's pretty much what the precipice of the show is, other than just geeking out about Guns N' Roses and Axel and rock and roll in general. It's to bring a community together in a world that everyone hates everyone. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's more than music, and I think that it connects people from all walks of life. I probably told you this story, but. I remember when I saw Guns N' Roses in Pennsylvania, uh, it was one of the last shows that the Axel and Friends lineup, as we like to call them, did um, in Bethlehem, PA. And after the show, I ended up talking to this guy whose name was Joey. Uh, I was actually at like a Starbucks. I bought a banana and a nice coffee because that's just me. I know people probably like chugging down beers after the show, but that was <laughs> what I was doing. And we were talking about Guns N' Roses, and he said, hey, I'll buy you uh, whatever you're getting. I'm like, I'm, I'm all right, man. And he ended up buying it for me. And so I asked, what, he said he was from Philadelphia, which is far out from there. So I asked how he was getting back. And uh, long story short, I ended up driving the guy back to his hotel, had like a great Ooh. conversation. Giggity, 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 goose. No, there's nothing like that going on. <laughs> but uh, okay. it like I think that's cool that we, we connect on on a level like that because we love this band and I've made friends because of this band. I've made friends because of just great music. We're friends because of this. Band. Oh, I, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I throw that out there too. Um, yeah, no, a hundred percent. And to show how relevant they uh, that they still are, and I, I keep forgetting to mention this. They're, um, Welcome to the Jungle is in the new uh, Call of Duty commercial. Yeah. I mean, how long has that song been out? And I guess heard uh, Paradise City, oh, what movie is it? It's for some uh, new movie that's also coming out. Well, we always sound like these old men who can't get into today's music, and this will probably uh, be more of that. But there's just, there's no song on the radio today, no rock song that could pump you up like Welcome to the Jungle. I think it's just indisputable that... There's Not there aren't anthems. anthems like that. Oh, yet. good that's anthems. Jinx, <laughs> buy me a coke. That we said at the same time. Yeah, the hundred percent. It's the anthems. Yeah, the 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 iconic, and that's how I'll tie in. Uh, other than the fact that I just saw it on the interwebs, uh, Jimmy Snuka. Why? I, I mean, I still watch wrestling, and there's to me there aren't, and it's much of like how the Guns N' Roses community forum is online. Uh, it's where the versus today's music. And you old school wrestling versus today's wrestling. Where are the icons? In 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 and that's what's missing. So yeah. Jimmy Snuka, murder or not, was <laughs> it was an icon. Axl Rose is an icon, and that doesn't exist today. If I look at bands like uh, Avenged Sevenfold, who I like, I mean, would you consider them icons at at all at this I, point? I mean, I, here's the thing: I'm not a maybe, fan, to be honest. But I would say that them more so than a lot of other groups. People know that image and. That, even though it was kind of a throwback, he he rocked that uh, backwards baseball hat with a bandana under it, kind of uh, homage to a certain lead singer that we know. But he definitely brought it back to a new generation and the full sleeve tattoos. And uh, I, I would actually say Avenged Sevenfold a little bit more iconic than most bands. But I would, you know, is uh, I feel like I always bring them up because I don't know a lot of new bands, but 
are um, Imagine Dragons. Is I, I there anything <laughs> iconic about them? No, you know. I love that that's always your go-to band. Because I really don't listen to new music. I just don't. I, my favorite stuff is from the 80s, and, I, you know, I listen to a few things here and there, but I, I mean, just I haven't heard anything on mainstream rock radio in a very long time that uh, I'm into, although there's, there's stuff that's not played on the mainstream, like Butcher Babies. Yes. That's, that's pretty awesome, so. Yeah, and I will... Um, as I mentioned, uh, of being sevenfold and, you know, M shadows and the, and the boys have been sort of criticized in today's world by taking kind of the sound from Guns N' Roses, from Metallica. So I get it. They're a bit of a throwback, but you're, in, in a way you're kind of taking someone else's iconicism or whatever. And I guess you could also make that argument of the Lady Gaga do that with Madonna, even though she, I love her and I think she's on a different level, maybe I'm biased. Well, even the bands that that you and I love from the '70s and '80s, you could say the same thing. Like my dad will always say, "Oh, Aerosmith, they're a poor man's Rolling Stones," and even the image was yeah. kind of taken from the Rolling oh, Stones. Fair enough. Fair but enough. I, I, I love them. I can, I find them completely original. They were inspired, but that's something else. That the that's an interesting comment of our era and how we look at what's iconic. And oh, somebody else did it before. You know, Simpsons yeah. did it, Simpsons did it, someone else did it before. So we can ask that of uh, our Butcher Baby Babe that we're going to have on in a few minutes because they're pretty unique. I mean, there are definitely uh, those hardcore heavy metal bands with, uh, that were fronted by females, but very hard for them to, to break through. So I'm curious of how, you know, she became a Guns N' Roses fan and, and the effects that they had uh, on, you know, the way she grew up. Yeah, so this will be a big episode. Uh, so next we're going to bring on Carla Harvey, one of the two very sexy front ladies from Butcher Babies. And then, of course, our friend Art Devana and get an update on him. The only thing that I heard from him is he said he's trying to get Buckethead to talk. Good luck <laughs> with that, dude. Yeah, I know, for real. So it's going to be a fun episode, but let's, uh, let's get on Carla first. All right, so joining us on the show is, of course, one of the front ladies of Butcher Babies, Carla Harvey, which I also didn't know uh, until recently, the Carla is an extremely talented artist. When I was checking out all her stuff, it's awesome. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> not a problem. I, I love it. Uh, and completely original style. And the fact that you could pick up um, prints that Carla has done is really cool, which I will plug uh, by the end. But if you want to check that out right now, it's carlaharvey.bigcartel.com. But before we get into all that, just thank you so much for taking the time and coming on with uh, both of us on this uh, Sunday as we're recording. Hey, no problem. You had me at Guns N' Roses. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what we'll get right into. Uh, I mean, I think that anybody at this point in, in a rock band who grew up during that era is, is a fan because they're just so iconic. And so what were your first impressions of Guns N' Roses? How did you discover them? And uh, what got you into them? Well, um, you know, I, I was a kid. I was probably 10, 11, um, the first time I heard Guns N' Roses. And before Guns N' Roses, you know, I, 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 um, I'm the oldest kid in, in my family. I didn't have musical parents. I didn't have parents that listened to a lot of different kinds of music. Um, my dad listened to a little bit of Stevie Wonder. My mom liked Jethro Tull. But they weren't really diehard music fans. I didn't have an older brother or sister to show me music. So I kind of had to discover it for myself. And at first I would listen to whatever was on the radio, but the second that I heard Guns N' Roses, it kind of changed the course of, of my, you know, my future. I, it was one of those moments where Welcome to the Jungle came on the, on the radio. My stepdad was driving us around 
And every like hair on my arm raised because I had never heard anything like it. And I was just like, what is this? I want to know all about it. I want to, um, you know, inhale everything about it. And I want to be a part of it, whatever it is. And um, so I went to the, the local Harmony house and <laughs> found Guns N' Roses. And then I saw all the imagery and um, I was even more sold. You know, being a kid growing up in the Midwest, um, they just looked like what rock and roll should look like. And it, it immediately spoke to me. And like I said, I had this this all of a sudden obsession with wanting to know all about that rock and roll lifestyle and be a part of it and find out about Hollywood and Sunset Strip and all that. And no other music before that had had that kind of full 360 impact on me. Were you a uh, a rock and roll little girl before then? Because I have some female friends that were all about the boy bands. Then all of a sudden they they hit high school and it's all about Marilyn Manson and Corn. That's when they get all evil and sexy. Um, so how were you? Know, how, um, the transition. Was, I'm a little bit older than that, so it, I didn't. You know, that all came later for me. The Marilyn Manson stuff. But um, I, I think I always was attracted to rock and roll. But, you know, every anyone who says that they didn't like boy bands when they were a kid, not even for a second, is probably lying to you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just to be honest, I mean, I went, my very first concert I ever went to was New Kids on the Block. Nice. But then the next concert I went to was Megadeth. Hell nice. Yeah. Um, I like that. And and I should, I, 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 not to interrupt you, Carla, and then years later, you get to tour with Megadeth. Like, how cool I is know, that? Cool. Yeah, it was, it's pretty amazing. Um, I pinch myself every day, but I, you know, I think that naturally little girls are going to, you know, like a boy band at some point or being, you know, inspired by uh, a pop singer. You know, I loved Madonna when I was a very, very young girl. I was obsessed. I had everything Madonna, but there comes, uh, I think a point around the age of nine, 10, 11, when you start making your own decisions about music and not what society manufacturers for you to like as a little girl and you're like hey what's this sound i kind of like this and um you know it started for me with with uh like i guess hair metal um because when i, when I grew up that stuff was on the radio and a lot of classic rock being shoved down everyone's throat so i always did have a tendency to like rock and roll um but i had to like this like i said to discover it on my own and uh i guess the way that i i did that too was in the day we had these fabulous record stores and i would go as as a kid and sit on the floor in the record store and pick through all the records and the ones that i thought had the greatest artwork were always rock bands yeah and metal and metal bands i was always attracted to i always loved comics since i was a kid so i was always into that kind of art and records that had you know similar art i would go for that and it was always rock and roll metal so i think that my love for art and my, you know, finding rock and roll kind of went hand in hand as well. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's not even uh, I meant towards um, little girls. I just meant your adolescence because I growing up for me, it was like Michael Jackson and I had Ace of Bass cassettes and Heavy D and the Boys. <laughs> and it was just all of a sudden when I heard Guns N' Roses for the first time, that was the band. Yes, I was into Green Day and Metallica, but for whatever reason, it was Guns N' Roses. Just looked like a rock band should look exactly what you just yeah. said. So that's they behaved. They behaved like a rock band should behave. And like I said, the whole package was incredibly intoxicating to a, a little girl growing up. You know, so far away from Hollywood. In fact, you know, I, I I got in my Ford Probe when I was 
I think 20 and drove across the country to move to Hollywood to be a rock star. And, you know, I don't know that I, I would have done that if it hadn't been for Guns N' Roses. Oh, wow. It says and, a lot. Um, and bands like that. And, you know, another big thing for me with Guns N' Roses was Slash. And, you know, I'm, I'm a biracial kid and I grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly black. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't supposed to like that kind of music. Mm. I got a lot of a lot of shit for liking that kind of music because, especially when you're you're biracial and you're growing up in a very racially divided place, people want you to prove your your your, you know, your blackness and you got to be tough and you got to be you know, and um, I always followed my heart and I knew that I liked rock and roll. When I saw Slash and when I saw the guys in Living Color. It let me know that, hey, it's okay to be who you are and like what you like and don't let anyone, you know, predetermine what you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to listen to or like because you're female or because you're black or because you're biracial and uh, it's not, you know, cool for you to like this stuff. Um and what you're saying about the, what you're saying about the image kind of ties into Guns N' Roses. They looked tough. They looked like a rock band, and all the hair bands that preceded that that you were just talking about, uh, Poison and and Warrant. I don't think there was necessarily anything, no, and I shouldn't say Warrant preceded wasn't. them, but there just wasn't a um or Vinnie Vincent Invasion and all those bands. But <laughs> there wasn't anything tough about that image. When you saw Axl Rose and you saw Slash, I think the the look is like these guys. These guys could kick your ass. Like they play rock and roll. They, exactly. Yeah. I didn't. I, I wasn't into the to the to the boys that looked like you know girls. No, no offense to, to them or to anybody. You know, my mom. I had I got a poison poster once. My mom wouldn't let me hang it up. She said that Brent Michaels looked like Suzanne Summer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. You know. And, and they still kind of look alike, which is messed up. <laughs> it's true. And. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is true. Guns N' Roses brought like this this toughness and this edge to to that music. And uh, like I said, it just it changed it changed my life completely. Hearing it and um, you know, like even you know, singing in a metal band, you know, maybe it's not cool to say that I grew up with this intense love for for Guns N' Roses, but it's absolutely the truth. And you know, I also loved thrash metal i was a huge huge thrash metal kid and i loved pantera but i've always had a soft spot for guns and roses and i always will you bring up a couple of interesting points too uh slash being biracial and it's, this was you you dealt with i mean it's always been an issue uh for me i'm 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 just a silly jew but i'm 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 handicapped but so i get judged in a different kind of way uh so with slash she's kind of like this embodiment of an example that you can do it yet he's the one he's somebody who doesn't really speak that he just is who he is and that's why we love him so much so did you exactly and um i think it's easier for men a lot of times and i um to fit in in whatever thing they're doing uh whether they're i just a little bit different for women who are who are of color getting into things um i don't know maybe i'm biased because i am a woman and i've dealt with it myself and i know the hardships of, of trying to be who you want to be and be authentic um but i just feel like it's, it's a little bit different experience for men but i am eternally grateful for musicians uh you know like slash doug pinnick um like i said living color for showing me that it was 
uh, you know, okay to like what I liked. Then I guess it was a struggle back then. Then let me ask then if it was a a struggle, and and of course it still is now for many. uh, When Guns N' Roses recorded the song One in a Million, when Slash had an issue with that and the way it came out, and, and Axel has done interviews about that, that it's not his view. He's kind of doing it in a sort of a third person being in that world, but still... Uh, using harsh words. Did that affect you? And also some of their you know, lyrical content. I also want to ask with you being a woman, like with, with uh, It's So Easy. I mean, how do you, how do you take those songs? Are they just songs? Um, do you not look too deep into it? Uh, I guess your perspective on both uh, of those. Well, when I, was, when I was a kid, I didn't look too deep into it because I didn't know what that stuff meant sure. necessarily. You know, um, I, I, the One in a Million song, I never thought about it being offensive because I grew up in a place that is, like I said, racially divided and there's a lot of anger on both sides. And I never saw it as Axel calling someone um, a name. I saw it more as a character um, kind of describing uh, like how, uh, how someone would maybe an outsider would feel in that situation or, 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 Maybe, uh, you know, he was a kid from Indiana that got off, you know, a bus and came to Hollywood and probably had a, a huge culture shock. Uh, maybe it's a character, an inner voice. I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I never really thought about it when I was a kid like that. I never really analyzed it. And, uh, you know, maybe I'd have a better answer if I actually thought about it <laughs> more. But I always saw, I always saw that as just kind of a... a a character. I never saw it as offensive. Same here. So I, it's just interesting. Somebody who uh, comes from the same background as Slash, and Slash had, you know, an issue with it. Still, of course, recorded the song. But I, I see it the same way as you. And he's explained it as such. It's a character. It's not yeah. him. But people. Yeah, it's kind of like a to be storytelling. Um, uh, you know, about you know someone who. Because uh, honestly, I mean, there's a, there's a song um, that I love by by X called Los, Los Angeles similar and uh so i i see the both of those songs kind of just like telling a story about what it's like to to go from small town and live in a big city and be confronted with all different kinds of people that you never were confronted with in your little bubble wherever you came from so so i, I want to fast forward to you talking about moving to los angeles getting into music and of course eventually starting butcher babies at what point did you say as a female, I want to get get up there and rock, but also have huge sex appeal, which you guys do have. I mean, you you get up on stage in pasties, which uh, takes some balls, I guess you could well, say. Actually, but we haven't we haven't been on stage with uh, nipple tape, electrical tape for five years. But years. I, but you did at some point. I mean, uh, we did it. We did it, and uh, we did it as an ode to Wendy O. Williams, oh. who um, was you know a big influence on me as a kid. And, um, you know, I just she was the first chick that I saw that that really um, used a combination of art, theater and, and music to to make a statement. And, um, you know, when, when we started Butcher Babies, we had come from playing in a, in a punk rock cover band, me and Heidi together. And we continued. We used to play in our cover band like that, again, as an ode to Wendy Williams. And we just kind of took that idea with us we were having fun and you know we we had no idea that you know six seven years later we'd be touring the world and um 
being an influence on little girls and little boys. And um, But you have to understand that it was an ode to someone that we respected and admired who left her mark on the world in a very dynamic way. And um, we also never did it as um, like a sex appeal type of thing. I never thought of it as being sexy. It was We were punk rock chicks. You know, we weren't trying to go up there and strut around like Playboy models. And I don't think that we ever did. It was all very, if you've ever seen a live performance or been to a live performance, you'll, you'll see it's, it's all very hardcore and none of it is, is um, real sexed up at all. So would that be so, the, the double standard that you were talking about where, you know, you're just being a, a rocker, a punk rocker, and you'll see... Um, Axel back in the day wearing assless chaps. <laughs> he's going out on stage in bicycle shorts with his uh, bulge hanging out, <laughs> and then he's just being yeah, a rock there's star. There's a huge double standard. There's sure. a huge double standard. Men have always taken off their shirts, um, you know, when they're playing music. Yeah. They're, they're always wearing tight pants. I mean, back in, God, in the late 80s and, and, and early 90s, all the music that I liked, all the guys wore tight pants and you know, had uh, their bulges hanging out and everything. So it is it is a double standard. You know, if I wear um, a top that's low cut, you know, I get attacked for being a slut. And um, it, it is ridiculous. You know, there's a certain – I'm not going to get up there in a frumpy T-shirt and, and baggy pants. That's not who I am. You it know, might be comfortable to, if you went on stage in a onesie. Might it might be. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of, of Heidi and I one Halloween – we were on tour with Danzig, and we actually put on fake beards <laughs> and uh, giant camo pants and giant T-shirts. And it, it was very liberating. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm a woman. I enjoy being a woman. And um, I enjoy looking nice for myself, you know, not just other people, which is something that I don't think people understand. People think that when a girl dresses up, it, they're doing it to attract other men or whatever. And, you know... I, if I get up out of bed and put on makeup, it's for me so that I feel nice walking around during the day. But um, there is an absolute double standard, and uh, there shouldn't be, but there always will be. It's, you know, it's not going away anytime soon. And um, people who get it get it. People who don't can just kind of fuck off lately. I don't really <laughs> care what people say anymore. I like it. Um, I've had to explain myself so many times and I'm just over it. <laughs> no, but you're you're doing what you love and you're being yourself. And yeah. I think that's the rock and roll attitude. Um, so listening to the the music of Butcher Babies, and for those who aren't familiar, it, it is a lot on the heavier side. It's not for everybody. I personally love that stuff. I love bands like Amur and Asking Alexandria and Brando will break my balls for it now and again. I, I'd actually, um, those are, see, the great thing about Butcher Babies is that we incorporate so many metal styles. I, I grew up, like I said, listening to thrash metal and, and, and Pantera. Sure. Um, I never listened to Asking Alexandria or Amur. I respect them greatly, and um, but they, they're not my thing either necessarily. Um, I'm very, very old school metal. But what I wonder is this, is, it's it's a lot heavier than the Guns N' Roses sound, even though they've obviously influenced you, as you were speaking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder, when I hear Butcher Babies, I, I wouldn't say that I hear Guns N' Roses in that. But were they an influence on you musically? Uh, they've been an influence on me my whole life, I think. I, I think, for me, the metal was a natural progression from, you know, punk rock and, and rock, hard rock. Um, I, they're definitely not an influence on butcher babies per se that you can 
here, but probably lyrically in some ways. And like I said, just the whole rock and roll attitude, I think it was a huge influence on me throughout my whole life. And uh, I was also going to ask... I, I don't know because of how many, you know, big tours there are and big festivals now, if you've ever been on stage with uh, Guns N' Roses. So actually, first, if, if you could answer that. Um, we um, played at Rock on the Range and with Guns N' Roses, but it was only Axel. Yes, and I, I remember that year. That was a few years back. So first, I'd I, like... I, I stood side stage and watched, and it was really cool. I think I probably had some tears. <laughs> Hell Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be amazing. But here's the thing that I was wondering is if you ever did a traditional tour opening for Guns N' Roses, would that be a dream? And would you be a little scared of the response? And I brought up Asking Alexandria earlier, uh, obviously a heavier band than Guns N' Roses. And the response was not it, it wasn't um, it wasn't the best response in that. I think that there's older fans who aren't used to the screaming vocals. And they want to see someone like Lenny Kravitz, who Brando and I saw. Well, open Guns for N' Roses GNR. have been yeah. uh, they've been picking very unique bands. It hasn't been just like a straight tour opener. I mean, they had Alice in Chains, but now in Japan, they're having baby metal. I saw the Cult open up for Guns N' Roses here in in uh, the LA area, and that was awesome. I thought it was a great fit. Black Label opened up for them, who I'm you know great friends with, and that was that was cool. Um, I think that you know every time that we've been on tour with a band that we thought we were going to get shit thrown at us, it has never happened. We've awesome. actually fit in quite well with all the bands that we have played with, um, simply because we have a different kind of energy on stage that I think commands attention. And whether you like it or you don't, you're watching. And people are so stunned by it that they, you know, they, they end up liking it. So I, I wouldn't be scared. I think any opportunity like that, I think you take no matter what. And hey, if I'm open up for Guns N' Roses and someone wants to throw a tomato at me, that's fine. <laughs> I'm still living my dream. Oh, well, that reminds me of actually uh, when I saw, I, I feel like I'm one of the youngest people who got to see Pantera while they were still around because I'm 30 and most people my age are like, I wish I got to see them. So I saw Pantera. Uh, one of the bands opening was Static X, and there were a few people in the crowd who uh, turned their back on them. Rest in peace, Wayne Static, I should say, and gave Wayne Static the finger, and he he made a remark that was like, "Guess what? I'm going to be backstage dr- drinking with uh, Dimebag, so you could fuck off." Yeah, you know, and I think that's the attitude to have. It is. It is an attitude to have, and it's the only attitude that you can have because people are, especially nowadays, when people can be so vocal on the internet and they can, you know, they can talk shit from the safety of their own homes and you can actually read it. You know, it's not, it's not like, you know, 20 years ago when people would talk shit in their living room and you'd never hear it. I hear oh, those are the, days. the things that people say about me online. And, you know, um, I see your face in the audience. I see your middle finger if you don't like what we're doing, but at the end of the day, like I said, I'm I'm living my dream. I have the opportunity of a lifetime. Not everyone gets to travel the world. Not everyone gets to be 11 and say, hey, I'd like to be in a band and play someday, and then get to do it and travel the world with their best friends, you know. And so I'm grateful no matter what. No one can really bring our attitudes down because we've we've heard it all. We've seen it all. And at the end of the day, we're still the ones on stage, so... And it's very, it's a very old school train of thought as well. I mean, it's how many people threw things at Alice Cooper and, and Ozzy and 
you know, we, we want to use yeah. Black Sabbath. So what you're doing is very consistent. And, yeah. you know, and I'm reading um, this quote, and I'm assuming it's a, a real quote because it's on Wikipedia. <laughs> so everything oh. on there is real. But it, it's, a, it's a nice quote, so I'm assuming it, it's real. But the last part of this uh, I want to jump off on. Uh, you say, there's always going to be haters. We actually don't play into the negativity or read into the negativity. I think people are afraid of sexuality, especially Americans. And uh, the jumping off point is where Guns N' Roses were, or I should say Axon Company were kind of kind of touring for a while, but they would basically go to South America and maybe overseas. There seems to be more of a, a love of rock that's, that's, oh my not, God. that's not in America. Crazy over there. Mm-hmm. Why? Why I'm is that? Sure, I'm not sure why that is, but, you know, they absolutely love metal. Um, South America, Mexico. Every, even when we went to Mexico and we were still a baby band, um, the first time there was people at the airport waiting for us, and it was just the coolest experience. And, you know, I've heard stories of, of bigger bands going where they can't even drive down the street because their tour bus is being, you know, shook by all the fans and mm. i'm not i'm not sure why they're and even in europe you know um the band if you love a band you love that band for life whereas uh, americans are very fickle and you know you do one wrong thing or you make an album they don't like or you say something they don't like make a political statement they're gone they're not your fan anymore right and, um i think that american fans can really learn from these you know, diehard fans in other places. Um, I think it's just really cool the respect that they have for for bands. Um, you know, year after year after year. And, it's also uh, such a different. Back. It's such a different vibe live when I just watch these videos on YouTube of metal bands playing in Argentina and Brazil, and the fans are yelling out, you know, the, how the guitar sounds, and they're doing all these chants, and it's it's a totally different vibe than what you see at an American show. And I would love to see a metal show over there. Yeah, no, I would love to play. I would love to do a South American tour. Hopefully something's in the works for later this year for us. We'll see. Good. And I guess also jumping off with that as well, because you mentioned you're from Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. So that is the homeland of Uncle Ted, Ted Nugent. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, so, and, you, and we also spoke about... Um, you know, because he's obviously been very political for quite some time. And you can he has? Some I didn't know that. No. He turned, <laughs> he, like, I mean, he turned me off as a fan. But uh, we mentioned Mexico. See, this all ties in. I guess how my brain works. Very chemically imbalanced, but it flows in some <laughs> weird river. Uh, that when Axel brought out uh, the Donald Trump uh, pinata at a show in Mexico City, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, Ian just felt like, you know, he should respect, respect the office, even though he's not a big Trump guy. But when you have people okay. like... Nugent and Axel making opinions and even being on the Guns N' Roses um, Facebook page after that story happened, ton of negativity. Even though Axel yeah. in the land of everyone hating each other in 2016, 2017, he kind of won a lot of people over by just performing well and showing up. Do you have yeah. so? Do you have an opinion as far as not to? You don't think say who you voted for or anything. If you're uncomfortable. You know, um, I, I. But as far as like getting it out because- there. I I used to make a lot of political statements, and I don't anymore because I'm just tired of people these days. They don't know how to have an opinion and discuss it Mm -hmm. and say, okay, I can see why you feel that way, and this is why I feel that way. We can agree not to disagree, but I'm not going to tear you apart as a human being. But these days you make a, a statement on how you feel, and the hate, the death threats are insane. So it's, it's, it's hard to be an artist and, um, and make make a political statement or any statement about anything that's important to you. And it makes me very angry because 
I don't believe that I should just be up there posting selfies and, and talking about, you know, very vapid things. I want to talk about things that I'm concerned about. This world is, is a very volatile place right now. And I would like to discuss it with people, but I've, I feel like I cannot. I have tons of respect for people that put things on the line and actually do go out there and, and say how they feel. Because you know what? Kids these days need, need a voice. They need someone who's going to be honest with them because you can't necessarily trust politicians nowadays. You can't trust um, a lot of people, but you can trust musicians sometimes. You can look to them for um, a little bit of advice or just to, to make make you feel like you're not alone in your feelings. Sure. Maybe. I, I just, I, like I said, I have total respect for that. And um, well, that's great that you that you have um, that thought process because it's it's a sad thought process, but it's the reality of of getting the hate because with a lot of people getting on stage and showing the support for a certain candidate or even Mel, Meryl Streep mm-hmm. giving her speech about Donald Trump, people are like, "Hey, just just do your job. Shut up and sing," yeah. as Axel says. Shut uh, just shut up and is, sing. The thing is, I I feel like politics and music have always gone hand yes. in hand, and I don't understand when people say that they they politics don't belong in music because they absolutely look at the 60s somebody i mean need to talk about it yeah somebody say it um one of our songs is um jesus needs more babies for his war machine is a very pertinent song to me today in this day and age with the planned parenthood um stuff and you know the healthcare situation um and uh you know, it's a fun song. People go crazy during it with tons of pit, tons of crowd surfing. But it also has a very powerful message behind it. And I hope that someone out there is listening, you know, um, to to those things. And before we uh, wrap up here, I, of course, have to ask about all your projects that you're doing. I know that you have a book out, um, which is, of course, Death and Other Dances. And uh, you can get that yeah. on Amazon. You can also get signed copies from Carla on her Big Cartel store, along with her art at um, carlaharvey.bigcartel.com. Um, so what and is... if you're a Guns N' Roses fan, there's there's a, there's a, a lot about Guns N' Roses in there. Um, nice. Okay. <laughs> well, I, before I get to my question I was going to ask, then what uh, what what stuff about GNR is there in there? Um, just a lot of stuff about the Sunset Strip and, you know, moving to L.A. And, and the reasons why I wanted to move there and my first experiences going to the Rainbow and... Um, you know, you know, there's this this place where my favorite rock stars used to hang out at, and um, just memories of of that kind of stuff, and um, memories of of being um, a very angry, volatile, uh, you know, 11 year old kid playing Guns N' Roses on my headphones, and you know, I'm thinking that Axel and Slash were all I had in the world <laughs> <laughs> to keep me sane. I like it. Um, so. There's a lot of little Guns N' Roses moments in my book. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like music, especially when you're somewhere that might not be familiar and you might not have all your friends, like that, that is your friend and that's your communication with the the world that you want to be a part of. Uh, so I was going to ask, what's next on the horizon for you and, and of course, for Butcher Babies? Uh, I know that the last big tour, I believe, was with Megadeth. Uh, what's coming in 2017? Yeah, we are home right now. We're writing our third album, and we start recording it in early March. And um, so we're really excited about that. We actually haven't been home in years. 
so it, it's kind of cool to be home mm. and uh, be able to concentrate on, on writing this album. And um, it also gives me a, a time to do to do more art and, um, and and write a little bit for my next book. Um, every year I put out a, a sketchbook. One of my new sketchbooks just came out. I do all these sketches on tour, and then I compile them into a, a sketchbook called Gash at the end of the year. So that just came out. I have Death and Other Dances out, and um, I've always got new art on my on my website. I've got a guitar that I just painted for Nam. The NAM show coming out this week, and so a lot of stuff. It's all art and music. I'm extremely lucky to be able to, you know, just live both my passions right now, art and music. What about any more embalming or uh, directing funerals in your uh, future? You know, I just I just got um, certified to do grief counseling, so that's what I'm doing now. That um, is awesome. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, I, I, I really, I was an embalmer for years, and I really enjoyed doing that and I loved funeral directing but obviously when you're in a band it's it's too um hard to have a, a job I don't have time for that anymore and um so I, I but I really wanted to still help people so I am doing um doing that and you can find out more about that at creativegrief.com um I've developed a bunch of tools that kind of combine um art and music as therapy for the grieving process and I'm really excited about it. It's, you know, uh, death and loss have always been a huge part of my life. And you can read more about that in, in my book, Death and Other Dances, as well. But, um, you know, I've always wanted to help people um, dealing with that. So I'm, I'm really happy to be able to offer those services as well. No, that's wonderful. I've been to grief counselors, and we, we need more of them. There's a lot of people suffering out there. So that's wonderful that you're doing that. You're, you're an excellent role model, Carla. Well, thank you. I try to be nowadays. <laughs> nowadays. Oh, you, you slip <laughs> no, that in every there. Day. Every day. <laughs> all good. All good. So anything else uh, you want to ask uh, Carla, my DEN? Because he kept saying, he's like, she's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. Oh, hell yeah. But, well, actually, I believe, we, we can't say who. I believe Carla's dating someone, so I, I will not uh, inappropriately hit on her. <laughs> but but no, no, there's nothing else uh, that, that I have. I just wanted to see what else was coming up on the horizon. The only thing that I that I could comment uh, before we get out of here is the big cartel store. I mean, if you want really cool prints of like hot chicks that look like Medusa and stuff like that, that are just insane, check them out. And I mean, I, I was blown away because there's a lot of people who do side projects that are in rock bands and you know, it's it's decent art, but if I never heard of you from Butcher Babies and I just came across this as just any random artist, I, w I would be blown away. It's just really cool and really creative and uh, unique pieces of art that I think people in this audience will really love. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've always loved art since I was a kid and I gave up for a while and then I started drawing again on tour to keep my brain occupied and it's been so crazy. Uh, I'm able to live now just creating art and music it's it's been awesome it's been a really cool last i think five years that i've been selling my art now and i'm, I'm really i'm really proud of it so please check it out that's awesome living the dream and uh check out carla on twitter at carla harvey of course you, you can check out butcher babies on twitter as well at butcher babies and uh maybe we could do this in studio when you're back in new york yeah i, I, I love new york i'm there a lot and uh that would be lovely yeah, we're in Tribeca, so it's not as hectic as Times Square, but you still get the feel of New York. There's still pizza places cool, open 24 cool. hours. And like I said, anytime anyone wants me to talk about Guns N' Roses, I won't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we won't either.
hence the podcast itself. <laughs> so thank you so much, Carly. We really appreciate you taking the time today. No problem. Thank you. So cool. And what was awesome about talking to her was finding out, just unbeknownst to us, in her new book, there are Guns and Roses mentions. That's so random and just awesome. Just something else to look forward to to reading her book. Well, I would assume moving to the Sunset Strip, it's just if you're a Guns N' Roses fan, it comes to mind. Like I, when I think of like Motley Crue and, and and Poison, that's who I usually think of first. More the hair metal. But don't you fans. also? And I've referenced it before on the show. But don't you also think of Axel getting off the bus in the Welcome to the Jungle video, and he's right there on the strip? Uh, yeah, I guess. But I see that more of just like L.A. and 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 California and going to a different like. State, yeah, as opposed to just the specificness of the Sunset Strip. I just always think of Tommy and, and Nikki peeing inside, uh, you know, a police car or yeah. you know, poison that they always would talk about. Who, oh, by the way, they announced they're touring, yep. uh, this summer with Def Leppard. Yo, I was gonna Are bring gonna... that up to you because I don't know necessarily why, but Ricky Rocket follows me on Twitter. Does and he really? And here's the thing: it's not one of the, he's not one of these people who follows like twenty five thousand people. Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't follow a lot of people, so I don't know why. I don't know if he's a soft rep fan, uh, I I, which is possible. But I would love to get Ricky Rocket on the show. That'd be pretty cool. I know, and I also again I hate you for Twitter because I I tried to gain followers and tweet brilliance, and you don't give a shit, and you have like twice <laughs> as many followers as me. Whatever. I don't I don't know why. You know what? I'm gonna see. Go fuck yourself. Since we're bringing it up, I'm gonna see how many people he follows because. Well, I don't know why he follows me, but I'm I'm a fan. Like whatever. I followed him, and I noticed he followed me back. Uh, yeah, he follows like a thousand people, which is like less than I follow. He's got thirty three thousand followers, and he follows me. So I kind of want to DM Ricky Rocket and be like, "Hey, want to come on Appetite for Distortion? Plug the tour." I know he's very into uh, jujitsu as well. Yeah, no, I would love to talk to him. And uh, but whatever, I, well, MC Hammer follows me, so that I already <laughs> went. You would think the drummer from Poison would have some GNR stories. I would hope. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So we should. There's a lot of people, and he's somebody else we should reach out to. Uh, I also want to reach out to uh, to Dell James. He liked one of our tweets. Yeah. By the way, because he's very political, and he liked something that we we posted about the uh, just Trump in yeah. general, and he, he got involved in the comments. But uh, I wanted to celebrate Friday the 13th, and I came up with some stupid, you know, mock Guns N' Roses names. I liked it. Thank you. If, yeah, you, it cool. if, if it's up on uh, our Twitter and Facebook, at the AFD show, but I saw Del James liked it. Because I know him and Slash are into horror. So I was like, let me, let me try. That was that was very calculated by me. Well, my and friend... Uh, Isn't that and, pretty... That's pretty sick. Yeah. Man. My friend and uh, fellow Jew, Josh Friedman at SiriusXM, he... Uh, <laughs> He booked uh, Dell James on the on the boxing show that he does because Dell and Axel are huge boxing fans. So I, you know, it's it's always possible he'd come on here. Yeah, we can. Uh, oh, that's somebody else I want to ask. But uh, I also I want to bring up just the fact that uh, Poison, who you didn't know were getting back together, even though we, we kind of felt it, it was, and we spoke to t- to Stevie Rochelle about yeah. that a few episodes ago. Uh, now it's been announced, I believe it's been confirmed by Billy Corkin, the original Smashing Pumpkins are getting back together. So I'm wondering if all these bands are just seeing, holy shit, look what it did for Guns N' Roses. We got to get our shit together. We got to get our ducks in a row. It's it's Because it, now you're hearing about Ace Freely possibly rejoining Kiss. I, I'm sure you've heard about that, you being the... Uh, I the feel Kiss, like that always the, comes up, though. Yeah, I But don't... it seems a little bit more serious Okay. Uh, now, now, I mean, you never know until it happens, but 
yeah. for years. I mean, you're the, you're the, you know, the kiss man. Yeah, I didn't know there was anything any more serious than, you know, months and years back. I I think it's always possible because uh, especially they've collaborated a little bit more recently. I don't see them ever getting back with Peter Chris. Mm. I think there's there's some hatred there. Well, one time Axel called Slash a cancer, so yeah. never say never. That's that's how, uh, now that this has happened, I mean, the only other major thing that needs to happen is a Zeppelin reunion. And I will be as objective as possible here. I'm a fan of Guns N' Roses and, and Kiss. I'm obviously a fan of Guns N' Roses. I wouldn't be doing this <laughs> fucking podcast. That'd be really weird. But <laughs> um, people doubted that GNR were going to sound great. And there were people that were like, you know, let this be in the past, including, I think it was Slash's brother, right? Yeah. Who, who were like... Called Axel Fat and everything yeah, on, on Facebook. They were like, just, we have the memories of them in their heyday. It's never going to be the same. Let it go. And they got back together and they sound terrific. Kiss, on the other hand, I, I don't know if I feel it'd be the same way. I mean, if you re- watch recent performances of Paul Stanley, he, he doesn't sound like he used to. And that's fact of the matter and I don't and I don't think a kiss reunion is such a big deal at this point I think people who wanted to see it saw it at this point they did it in the 90s and it's kind of old news now I I do agree it is old news it's not like Guns N' Roses and I don't believe that's a bias of mine no I don't either. but it's just the brand yes obviously kiss is a major brand and they're the the rock band that taught everybody how to brand uh, but they had reunited in the somewhat recent future I get our recent past is that what you would call it whatever I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, but other than like I said a Zeppelin reunion I think Guns Roses was the the pinnacle of, of Guns of uh, rock reunions only other one I could think of Pink Floyd I guess I mean I'm not a huge Floyd fan I mean having worked in classic rock radio the majority of my life I'm I I, I hate to say it I, I'm, I'm done. okay I, hey I'm I done. get it I can't but listen I listen to Pink Floyd anymore. but if Pink Floyd were to reunite I think it would be on that Guns N' Roses scale where they'd be able to pack out uh, football stadiums and all that stuff. So, But I think we, we've spoken about it where Guns N' Roses is a different because you can talk to a a cheerleader, a high school cheerleader, and they'll know, welcome to the jungle, paradise, sweet child of mine. Will they know anything more than rock and roll all night? I guess they, Oh, my kiss. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's why I, I always just look at Guns N' Roses as just such a unique brand and band that they're able to just reunite and have it it's, it's such a because so, i don't know what the smashing pumpkins are going to be able to do like they can't do uh metlife stadium with the jets and giants play they can't i would do think that. they could do like msg though yeah, maybe madison square garden i can i can absolutely see and from what i've seen the new pumpkins are playing venues like webster hall in new york city which is a smaller venue but right. they're able to pack out that place uh yeah I think there'd be a high demand, but I agree. It's not on the scale of Guns N' Roses. Uh, there's not a lot on the scale of Guns N' Roses. And uh, with that said, there's a guy who would agree with us on that, and that's Art Tavana, one of our favorite authors, of course. Actually, our favorite author, let's say. There's yes. no one who investigates Guns N' Roses it's more. It's him and Steinbeck. Yep, artavana.com. And you're the second guest on this show from the 818 area code, because we just had uh, Carl Harvey of Butcher Babies, who, you know, I love your work, but you're... You're not quite as attractive as Art. <laughs> yeah, hell no. And Art, you, by the way, you, you told me off the air that you have AIDS or something. You're, you're sick. What's, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, totally got HIV. No, I'm fucking, I don't know. I just got cold and it's like really annoying. Uh, I work at this arcade and like drooling on kids all day and parents are pissed off and yelling at me and like I'm having a really bad week. But that being said, talking about GNR is going to make me feel better. So let's do it.
Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what do you have in the works? Because I, I know you've been posting some uh, some articles and some follow ups uh, about Izzy on LA Weekly. So, uh, what has been yeah. your, the task at hand for you? Nothing. No proper updates on Izzy. I just been getting a lot of feedback last couple of weeks or last few months from fans and people and a lot of people in the scene and various writers who knew Izzy or know Izzy and have all this shit that they wanted me to kind of include in the article. And it's kind of been good because I am writing a book. So all this stuff that's coming my way, I'm going to kind of save for the book. So I can't really talk about all the various people that have kind of jumped. Late. It was kind of like I described the Izzy article like the Iraq war. It was kind of like it lifted this fucking rug of like weird unknown shit, like a civil war of like maniacs just like pop out of everywhere and start hitting me up. But, you know, one thing I want to say is like all these fans keep hitting me up and telling me, oh, my God, we loved your article. And like. We can't. GNR is never going to be GNR without Izzy Stradlin. And I'm like, well, if you guys read the article, if you actually read it, you'd understand. My my whole point of view was, like, he he's not the guy who she, he's not part of this. Like, he's not supposed to be in this reunion because he doesn't want to be, and it doesn't make any more sense for him. And it's like, let's move on. You know, let's enjoy this band for what they are. And I think I've kind of gotten frustrated with like the Izzy Stradlin kind of fundamental fundamentalist like side of the GNR fan base, but hmm. that's been fun. You know. I think there's a lot of pissed off people. There are people that are always going to be pissed off. I happily saw Van Halen with Wolfgang. I mean, I, I would love to see them with Michael Anthony, but, you know, I, I'm like, I always wanted to see Diamond Dave and Eddie Van Halen together. So I'm going to go into this enjoying this show. Same thing. Yeah. You know what am I? I've always wanted to see Axel and Slash on stage together. I, you know, I realize everyone seems like hates something about everything. I believe I just I quoted that the, used that same uh, phrase with with Carla before. So everyone has something right. to find to get pissed off about. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm completely with you. I mean, it would be cool. You know, if, whether he joined for a full tour or spot starts. Uh, but I'm 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 happy. I'm happy with the way this has uh, transpired, and that it's still continuing. And I'm actually like in the works right now, of probably doing something similar that I did on Izzy on Buckethead. Oh man, see so, this I'm I'm dying to see. I've I'm a huge Buckethead fan. And see, yeah, me too. And I've always gotten the impression, and I do not say this with any, uh, you know, I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but I honestly have gotten the impression that there's some form of like mild autism going on there with, between. And I'm not <laughs> how saying, do you diagnose um, that? No, 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 and I'm not saying it to be funny either. You know, just the way the drawings that he sells, the fact that he never talks, the the he we don't know his identity other than some really old video footage of old bands that he was in. I just get right. that's that's genuinely the impression that I get that he is this extremely artistic, extremely talented guy, puts out dozens upon dozens of albums a year, and I think he <laughs> probably sits in his house, plays guitar, does some artwork, and that's all he does all day. And, and we know, chicken. And we, yeah, and we know very little else. He's like eight, and he's also like eight feet tall, which is yeah. awesome. <laughs> no, I just, I've always been fascinated by him. I, to me, he's the most, and I've always said this, and it's kind of, it pisses off the GNR purists, but whatever. I think he's like the most interesting and probably the most talented person to ever be involved with GNR. Like, I just love the guy. I think he's a psycho. And I think the stories about him, like, being backstage and, like, you know, wearing these virtual fucking reality goggles and, like, this weird, like, all these weird masturbation stories people have about him. <laughs> that I haven't heard. <laughs> well, yeah. All this shit, dude. The chicken coop in the, in the recording studio. Like, the guy is such a, an enigmatic weirdo. But I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to talk to him based on, conversations i've had with like his people or whatever but hopefully one day i mean the guy's the guy's awesome and i think he should 
he should get out there and talk about his time with Axel, but he probably won't. So, um, I mean, you, you never know, but we need to put a pin in something. Uh, masturbation stories. I mean, was he cutting a hole <laughs> at the bottom of the bucket and just like, you know, <laughs> extra crispy? Like, what, what, was, what was happening? Like, what, like, what well, stories are this? Look, the thing is, like, I always get hit up by very strange people who have all these stories, right? And I initially, when I was doing my junior art book, uh, I had a guy that I was going to do the book with, and I'm not going to mention his name because he's kind of a jerk and he basically fell out. He fell off the the writing process. And I kind of told him, you can't be a part of this, but he knew this girl who party with Axel a lot and she'd go to his house and his mansion in Malibu. And supposedly, I mean, this could be all bullshit, but supposedly she, she would like drop acid with Axel and like watch him like work out. And like, he would talk about his days with GNR and all this, all these weird fucking stories. And one of the stories, supposedly this could be all bullshit, but one of the stories he shared with her was this story about, Buckethead, and apparently, like, he's Buckethead was this very strange dude, obviously, but he had this weird thing where he would, like, have these virtual reality goggles or something, and he would use them to create this, like, weird connection to, like, some sort of, like, porn thing or computer that he'd, like, watch all these weird videos on and do this before he performed. And I don't know if it's bullshit or if it's just some weird urban myth, but I kind of, be- I-, I fucking believe it. I mean, it's like, there's so much shit about that guy that's out there. And none of it's verified, and that's why I want to talk to him because I want to verify these stories. So yeah, I'm a virtual reality porn man. Well, I would like to know. I would like to know if he, if if this is true, if he masturbated before he starts handing out toys on stage because that'd be fucking weird, man. (laughs) Oh yeah, I love it. I I saw him like I don't know, like five months ago. He was in L.A. He played at the what's the venue's name? It's a venue in downtown L.A. And he played, and I was there, and it's like right in the midst of the GNR kind of reunion, and I was like, this is awesome that he's here, and. He probably realized, like, you know, this is a good time for me to tour because people are kind of interested in weird GNR-related things. And I love the guy. He's phenomenally talented. And I think his work on anything that he did on Chinese Democracy or live performing was just brilliant. And the guy's a badass guitar player. But he won't ever get that kind of, like, I don't, no, one's, no one's coming out and saying, ah, we, we, you know, Buckethead should perform with GNR and do a guest spot. <laughs> Nobody has said that. Other than the people on, yeah, the forums, the nerds like us, and I got to see him at BB uh, King's here in New York City during the midst of that reunion as well, and it was completely packed. Every show that he's played in New York City since, I think, has been completely sold out, and he's done a few. Oh, yeah. um, so that makes me wonder, if you actually were to get Buckethead to talk, would you be the first person to publicly talk to him? I mean, the only other instance I could think of was when I think it was Kurt Loder interviewed him on MTV News, but he talked with through a, a puppet. A puppet, sure. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, no, I think he did this thing a few years ago with Vice. I think some guy at Vice knew Buckethead, like they were friends or something, and he did a thing where he inter- he kind of interviewed him, and they were all having like, dinner, and it was a very, like, different kind of piece. It was and, and the guy didn't talk about Gina R, and it wasn't really what we, you know we'd expect it to be but i think he's done stuff like that before but from what i've been told he doesn't do interviews at all um he's not into it he just completely disassociated himself from the media so i don't think i'd be able to talk to him but you know for me what i've found with izzy and other people that i'm kind of doing the same thing with i'm kind of doing something similar with ron rousey as well is like I, I don't really think you need to talk to the person because the person will never give you as fascinating or as interesting of a tale as the people around them who are just willing to tell you everything. The person will always kind of be politically correct because, you know, they don't want to give away a lot of the secrets and the, the stories that will get them in trouble, but they're like close friends and they're family and they're like associates and business partners. Those are the people that are the most fascinating, I think. 
Did you ever hear that story that Ozzy Osbourne told when uh, Buckethead was possibly going to join his band? No, oh my God, no, I never. That, that you could find online because that's heavily circulated. But apparently, Ozzy said that Buckethead tried out to be in his band. Uh, he watched him play, and he was like, "You're extreme." You know, he was extremely blown away by how talented he was. Uh, but then he tried to talk to Buckethead, and he was like, you know, can you take the fucking bucket off your head? Can we have it? <laughs> Ozzy couldn't understand him. Yeah. Okay. And, and he right. apparently said, you know, like, can we have a real conversation? And and I think he said that Buckethead was like, hey, my name is Brian, and that was about it. And he, was, he said he was wearing some, like, weird alien ears backstage. Like, he was wearing something out there. <laughs> I, I haven't looked at this in a while, so, I, you know, I, I should have prepped this, but... um. Uh, apparently Ozzy was too weirded out by him to put him in his band. It wasn't his lack of ability by any means. <laughs> yeah, Ozzy kind, of, kind of seems like a normal guy. I think the whole image, the horror thing, he seems like a pretty basic Beatles fan kind of guy. But, yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, Primus when Les Claypool like, tried out for Metallica, and Metallica was like, after um, you know, Cliff Burton died, and, and the Metallica was like, you're just too good to be in this band. You're just way too beyond, beyond us. And I think Buckethead was way too beyond Anybody, even Guns N' Roses, I think a big part of the reason, I mean, there's a lot of complexities to why he left and why Axel and him kind of had a falling apart. But I think it was, he was just way too complex and kind of scientific and strange for any one band. He has to be solo, you know? Oh, by the way, I brought up the uh, the article that about what Ozzy said because it's just, this is a funny story. I tried out that buckethead guy. I met with him and asked him to work with me, but only if he got rid of that fucking bucket. So I came back a bit later, and he's wearing this green fucking Martian's hat thing, and I said, "Look, just being yourself." He told me his name was Brian, so I said, "That's what I'd call him." He says, "No, no one calls me Brian except my mother." <laughs> so uh, Ozzy said, "I'll pretend to be your mom then." I mean, it, it's it, it's fun. Uh, so I got I got this story pretty right. Yeah, and he's like, I haven't even gotten out of the room, and we're already playing fucking mind games with the guy. <laughs> and so, was, yeah, that is uh, that is quite amazing. Like you said, Ozzy's probably just like a Beatles fan who has his whole persona. Where I don't yeah. know, maybe you're you're right, Ian, doing the whole Rosie O'Donnell diagnosing Trump's oh, grandkid oh, yeah. with autism from afar. I've heard other people say it about Buckethead because the, the the weird thing, especially that makes me think all he does is sits in a room all day and play his music is the amount of material he releases. If you want to go on Wikipedia and look up Buckethead's discography, it is hours upon hours. And he puts out probably like 25 releases a year, and I'm not exaggerating this. <laughs> yeah, he puts out a lot of shit. I haven't, I haven't dug into his, his work yet, but have you guys actually been on his website like in the last few weeks or months or well he has years. i know he has that buckethead pikes website where he sells like this new music he puts out every month and then he has the old buckethead toy store where you could buy some old physical releases but is it one of those or well it's bucket bucketheadland.com <laughs> it's like a lebron james thing oh he's like, had that forever though yeah yeah it's that weird fucking site no, that's kind of how i i haven't seen it it brings up Le lebronatron yeah it's that's yeah. actually years old though he's i don't oh, think okay. that particular website has been updated in years but the buckethead pikes one is where he releases new music that's still weird the, the interesting <laughs> thing about buckethead is this he self he self-releases all of this music and it's all very limited in physical release you can get it all digitally but i have a bunch of buckethead releases and I will admit this on the air. When I moved into my new apartment, I was like, oh, I could use some extra money right now. And I had Buckethead releases that are, that were able to go on eBay for nearly $100. 
and I sold a Whoa. few of them. I I did keep Captain EO's Voyage, which was because the cover is a ode to the uh, Captain EO movie that Michael Jackson did, and I'm a huge oh, Michael right. Jackson fan, so oh. I just thought that was too cool to sell. But I sold a few others. So, I mean, if you're someone who owns Buckethead's physical releases, a lot of them are worth good money, man. Interesting. And by the way, Holy he has shit. 275 studio albums. And that's probably not including the stuff he did with Praxis, not including the stuff he did as Death uh, Death Cube K. Uh, he's done, oh my God. So, and then he, he did stuff on the Power Rangers soundtrack. I mean, he's, he's like the Prince of Poultry. He's like Prince, as in like with releasing all these albums. I just came up with that, patent pounding. So if you want to use that. Man, you got, I got to talk to you guys more about my story then. This is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't wait. I mean, I, I got to see uh, Buckethead, the show, before they canceled that first comeback uh, at Madison Square Garden. Then they canceled that 2002 tour when they were supposed to play Philly. Then it all went to shit. So, I mean, I got to see him. But like you said, uh, Art, when I'm listening to like Chinese Democracy, there was a time is one, one of the best solos I've ever heard. And uh, yeah. it has nothing, no reflection on Slash. It's just so... Unique and different. Yeah. He's different, man. He's, the Buckethead was robotic, technically perfect, just this mastermind and a different style player. But, you know, he brought his own element to that band. And I think that, you know, I think people should kind of appreciate it a bit more and ask for Buckethead to do a guest spot. Who knows? He might. I don't I don't see that, that being impossible, you know. Who knows? So, fuck it. Let's support Buckethead. So, who do you think would be more likely to get on stage then, Izzy or Buckethead? <laughs> Holy shit. Um... <laughs> Oh, God, that's a hard fucking question. I'm going to say Izzy, probably, because I think Izzy has more of a, there's more of like a business, and there's more of a business reason to have Izzy do it. I don't think Buckethead is a draw the way Izzy is, and I don't think Buckethead would get like, you know, a cover of Rolling Stone or something. I don't know. I think like, oh. Izzy Stratton playing with you know is a bigger story, right? Right. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. It's, yeah. It's, it's just, you have to do it. You have to make like a documentary, you know, finding Buckethead in the vein of Bigfoot or something like that. I just think that could be funny. Yeah. I mean, but where would you go if you were outside Izzy's house, like leaving notes? <laughs> Are you going to go around to different chicken coops and just? Well, I his his address, Buckethead's address is like, or whatever his PO box is on that website, and I sent him a letter once asking him for an interview, and never got anything back. But I think his address is out there. Well, wait. Here's what I wonder: if it's on the website that you said, is it that? Um, I'm forgetting the name, but it's that Travis whatever music, TLD. No, because that like guy, Buckethead. okay, because I was going to say that guy on that website, I do know, who's done some keyboard work with Buckethead, I believe they do not work together anymore. And that's why Buckethead has a new website, which is Buckethead Pikes. So I uh, uh, I might be a bigger Buckethead fan than you are. <laughs> oh, you definitely are. You definitely are. I love it. You know what I think turns off people from Buckethead and why he has this, like, Here's the thing. He has this cult following where he could play pretty much any club in America and sell it out, but I don't think it'll ever get bigger than that, is that he releases so much music that it's hit or miss. If you put on random Buckethead tracks, there's stuff that sounds like just digital noise, and then there's stuff that sounds like masterful guitar work. So, you know, he, right. he has no filter is part of the problem. Or some people love it, but I'm, that that's, that's part of why he'll never get to a, a, a certain level that I think he deserves to be at. Yeah, I wonder if that's, I also think that's kind of maybe part of his master plan, right? He wants to confuse us and he wants to just do his thing and be anonymous in a weird way and just trick us and fool us with all this music. Who knows what he's trying to accomplish? I mean, one day I bet he'll talk, but 
He's going to run for president in 2020. Buckethead for president. <laughs> oh, that's great. He's got a better hairpiece than Trump. I mean, it could work. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's very crazy. It's that's awesome. I'm, I'm, it's very cool the kind of angle you take on your your articles, where it's really investigative journalism, which really seems to be uh, dying out, unfortunately, nowadays. So that's that's very cool. I'm looking forward to uh, what you can come up with. Well, speaking of which, I just noticed that um, fucking Mick Wall, he blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that was my next question because nice. I'm, I'm so many things that I'm reading about that new book, and it's not just from you, uh, just from other fans. It's like these are all bullshit stories. He's not saying anything yeah. new. So, uh, I mean, I tried for you, Art. I tried to tag both of you and get him to respond, but I don't know. I guess he's too British and uh, took the high road or just blocked you. Well, which is so ironic because, like, the whole book is – I've read reviews of the book. I, I haven't actually like spent money on his book because I don't want to like. If, I don't want that to be in my brain at all. Like, <laughs> right? But like, so I angry. just all these reviews about how it's all about you know, looking back at an era when rock and roll was dangerous and how it doesn't exist anymore and like Guns N' Roses are and we'll never see again. Axl Rose is like the guy like Jim Morrison. We'll never have that. And it's like this nostalgia and it's cool and I respect that and I think that's part of the appeal of GNR. But I think Mick Wall just recycles the same fucking stories from all the stuff that he wrote for Craig and like all the interviews with Alan Niven and Doug Goldstein and God bless both those guys. But it's just like Mick Wall is like the master of taking one fucking thing he did for like four years and turning it into a lifetime of work and just rehashing it. And I have no problem with them as a person or as a writer. I think like the stuff you wrote early on was awesome. The dude just like, you know, his journalistic ethics are just like out the window. He doesn't credit other people for sources he just makes half the shit up. He just doesn't verify half the stories. He like he got his fucking name wrong in half these fucking articles. He spelled the he spelled the fucker's name wrong. Like Jeffrey Dean Esbell. He got his birthplace wrong. Like all this basic journalistic shit that you learn in high school, he couldn't <laughs> like pull off. And this guy's like the voice of GNR and like in journalism. It's just kind of weird. I don't know. I think that people like that should just be a little more careful with the shit they put out. But hey, that's just me. I get it. No, that that stuff would bother me too, especially if they're just spelling mistakes by somebody who's been a veteran for for quite some time, and you know, and especially for you, if somebody else. I mean, yeah, he's older, but the voice of GNR, where you're, you know, you got Guns N' Roses socks. I mean, that doesn't get more hardcore <laughs> than that. I mean, so I mean, right. I, I I totally I I get it. I get it. So I mean, I don't know. Maybe who's gonna who are the two uh, rappers about the fight? Ian? Oh. I'm, I'm Soldier Boy yeah, and, and uh, Chris Brown. So maybe you we'll, got it. So we'll get the white version of that with uh, Mick Wall and Art Devana, <laughs> the one that nobody cares about. <laughs> Sorry. He looks like a big dude. He'll probably kick my ass. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so actually, I, I wanted to move on to another topic here, but before we do, uh, is there any other like behind-the-scenes stuff you learned about Buckethead that uh, you want to mention that might be in this piece? I haven't even dug into the Buckethead stuff. I just pitched the idea and I'm okay. doing it. But the, I'm, working, I'm working on a Ronda Rousey story. And the only kind of updates I have from the, the GNR universe is I know GNR is doing a documentary. Who knows if it's going to be even something that comes out because they do this shit all the time and they don't release it. But yep. they're, doing yeah. a docu- they're doing a documentary about Dodger Stadium and those two epic nights. And, you know, the whole thing was recorded. They oh, interviewed man. me at the LA Week. They brought, a, like, a crew and, like, all these fuckers. And they interviewed me at the... LA Weekly offices, and mm. basically, like, the gist of the whole thing was this British dude was interviewing me, and he was really cool. I forgot his name, but... Um, it was Mick Wall, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't Mick Wall. Uh, they interviewed a bunch of rock stars. Like, they interviewed, like, I don't know, man. He, he name-dropped all these people that he interviewed, but 
um, like Billy Idol and shit. But nice. they interviewed me and asked me about the, the like kind of appeal of GNR for this generation, like my generation, I guess, um, millennials, quote unquote. And I kind of tried to communicate that. But I feel like I, I don't. I I personally identify more with like Gen X. Sure. So I'm this weird hybrid. So it was cool. I think that's that's a cool thing for fans. I think that'll come out. I'm guessing that'll come out when they start touring back in the states again. Um, just based on the common, you know, just to sell that DVD, you want to like do that. But that's kind of one thing. And otherwise, I'm just working on my book. So that's all I got to update on. When is the uh, Rousey article coming out, and for what publication? The Rousey article is going to be for LA Weekly. I don't know the timing. It all depends on if I can figure out a way to get Ronda Rousey to actually speak to me. If she doesn't, because I'm guessing she again. I keep wanting to interview these people who don't want to do press. Yeah, right? man. You have a knack for that. Like interview <laughs> trying to interview people who do not want to talk to anyone. I mean, she didn't do any press at all for the last fight. She refused to. Now she's going through a tough mm-hmm. time, it seems. See, I live in I live in Burbank and that's really close to Glendale. And Glendale is kind of the unknown um story of Ronda Rousey. It's kinda of where she like was discovered as a fighter in the, in the MMA kind of world and where she trained with all the different people in the LA kind of the Glendale fighting scene. And that's kind of the story I want to tell and then connect it back to what happened with her and kind of last two fights and kind of dark years or the dark times of Ronda Rousey and how she kind of changed and what happened to her. And, but I also want to talk to her. I think in my personal opinion, I think she is probably the closest thing we've ever got to Mike Tyson, at least in my experiences watching fights. I'm not a big fight guy. I don't watch MMA that much or boxing, but, for me, it reminded me a lot of being a kid and watching Tyson. And that's how I felt about Rousey. I kind of feel like her kind of quote-unquote downfall has been very similar to Tyson. It's like they figured her out. You know, she had all these personal problems. It leaked over into her fighting and this kind of tragic yet epic story. But what else? we'll see what happens. I like oh, that I, angle. I like that. And I agree absolutely. I mean, not to get all into MMA here, but you hear about Tyson's upbringing, you know, in the projects, getting beat up as a little kid. Uh, if you watch the documentary Tyson where he says, you know, I got beat up and I decided from that point on no one was going to ever fuck with me is, is what he says. And mm-hmm. uh, Rousey, you know, her, her father committed suicide after being a paraplegic, like very dark past in both of these people. So I get the comparison completely and I will absolutely look forward to reading that article. Um, the last thing I wanted to get on, though, before we forget, when I said I wanted to switch topics, you and I and uh, and our friend John Miller got into a bit of a uh, heated discussion on could you call Guns N' Roses a hair metal band? And you are of the opinion that we should not do that. Well, like, okay, so here's the thing. I've thought about this a lot since we, like, had this Facebook thing, and I feel like the discussion itself is kind of, like, slightly unhealthy, right? Because, like, what we're doing is, by talking about it, by even having the discussion, we're sort of saying that there's, like, a pejorative use of hair metal. And, and there always has been, right? It was invented in the 90s as, like, a diss towards, like, 80s rock. And I think when we talk about it, we kind of make it seem like, oh, well, you know, GR's not part of that scene because that scene was a joke and it was, like, laughable and bands like Poison and shit were just, like, you know, cartoony and all the medieval and kind of cartoony comic book shit. And it's like GR wasn't a part of that, right? But, like, that's the problem. I think it's, a, it's like, 80s rock, man. It's 80s rock and roll. They were all part of this weird kind of melting pot of music. And GR, to me, personally, to me, GR belongs more in a category of Led Zeppelin and the Stones and because their sound to me and their kind of their use of imagery wasn't quote unquote glam metal or 80s metal in that sense. So, but it's a complicated thing. I feel like, you know, it's 80s rock, man. The more we talk about hair metal, the more we 
kind of put down that that world and that genre and that kind of the epicness of that universe, you know? Yeah, I... I do put it in its own genre just because there is a certain sound, there is a certain um, degree of topics, and also if you're going to talk about 80s rock, uh, at the time, Metallica, Anthrax, we've had Charlie on the podcast, Slayer, they were the anti that whole scene. And Guns N' Roses is actually the band who I think came out of that scene, but those bands were able to say, you know what, we respect what they do, the same way Charlie said he did on here. So let me ask you a question. Why? How did it go from glam metal to hair metal? Why? Like, what what happened where that hair metal term or that use started happening? Because to me, it's like when people say hair metal, it's an automatic switch of my brain to, oh, my gosh, like that poison video with the fog machine <laughs> and, like, the lipstick and the, the goofy hair, the, the like, C.C. DeVille acting like a cartoon character. It's not the imagery of GNR. Because to me, GNR belongs more in, like, the classic metal kind of imagery with the crucifixes and the skulls. And I feel like there is a divide. It's like Judas Priest, right? Is Judas Priest hair metal? Let me ask you guys that question. No, no but I, w- I would say no. Because British heavy metal, the new wave of British heavy exactly, metal. Exactly, because they came out of that scene. But I, I, Iron Maiden. Yeah, and I'm, I'm more towards your thought process, uh, Art, than Ian, but I guess the overlap that you can make would be the videos that first came out and some of the, okay. you mentioned the imagery where... You know, Axel's hair is teased up, not in every scene, but you, you look at Adler. Where, I mean, he's always got that smile, but it was that same yeah. smile that every other Ricky Rocket's given, that the, the drummer for the Bullet Boys are, are, is given, that same smile, like, look at me, I'm going to fuck so many girls after I'm filming <laughs> this video. Right. And same thing with, like, right. Sweet right. Child of Mine. So, I mean, it was kind of that look, and then until they got a little bit darker, more epic, uh, what was the video that I sent you also, Ian, the other day? Because um, MTV Classic does actually does have some metal moments. Oh, Smooth I think Up was, In You by Bullet yeah, Boys. Yeah, but the Bullet Boys are even Kiss. I don't know if I sent it to you. It was Kiss during their non-makeup oh, days. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. they all, they're all dressed up like the Ultimate Warrior and then Brett. Like, <laughs> that, that kind of frilly. But I guess that's where I'm like, okay, I know the difference. But Glam, to me, is like T-Rex in early Van Halen. You know, right, I don't see right. them as, as hair metal. But I guess it's just because... Like with grunge, just there's all these bands just popping up. You know, they're kind of just like the minions that there's more and more of them coming up, and it just becomes kind of like a joke. You have to label it something. Oh, yeah. Well, D. Snyder once said to me, and I got to work with D, that the record labels, when they see something that's awesome uh, from a certain scene, from a genre, they say, if, if one is good, a million is better. Like and Police then, Academy. Yeah. And then they kill the genre. And it, it's not just hair metal, because after that, it was grunge, as you said. And then the more recent right. one that I think the three of us grew up with was new metal. You know, there was Corn, Limp Biscuit, and then there were 10 million bands that sounded like Corn and Limp Biscuit. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's a, then there's the argument of like a band like Tool. Is Tool new metal? No, like Tool fans will say, fuck no, but yeah. there's people outside of that universe will be like Tool's a new metal band or Mudvayne or something. And it's like, well, you know, I feel like GNR, so here's the thing, I feel like GNR fans, and I think GNR started as started this whole debate themselves because they were so they pushed themselves so far away from the hair metal branding that they were just kind of i think i think they almost were the first band to make hair metal seem like a a really stupid like use of the term because it was like well you know we're not that band we take our music seriously and it did i said those gnr ballads were nothing like the hair the quote-unquote hair metal ballads like sweet child of mine is authentic earnest it's dark it's like emotional It's, it's about a specific person most of those hair metal ballads, like by bands like L.A. Guns, I don't know, I feel like they're all just kind of like, you know, 
about this fantastic like fairy tale style romance and it's like epic it's funny almost and i feel like gnr was way more fucking serious about their music and, and what i noticed i'm not saying as a fan but mm-hmm. just, that's just what it sounded like you know and what i noticed too when i was watching the uh the metal mayhem on uh, mtv classic or whatever it is now there's always like a chorus where they're singing along together. You know, yeah, crazy, crazy nights. Yeah, the gang vocals. And yep. Guns N' Roses never really had that. So that's kind of exactly. how I, uh, yeah, that's that's my main, I think, th- difference. I will give Art like, this. Sorry, what were you saying, Art? It's like compare C.T. DeVille to Slash. Compare any yeah. one of those guitar players from any one of those hair metal bands to Slash. And, I mean, not just the fact that Slash was, like, you know, half black and the fact that he was, like, this Jimi Hendrix-type character. And then you compare him to these guys who were, like, full-blown wore makeup, have neon colored guitars. We're doing like splits on the stage and like fog machines and like these like sparkly lights. And it's such a different experience to listen to the guy and listen to those guys. But yeah, go on, please. Well, what I was going to say is this I am a huge Deftones fan. Deftones is like the only band that I put on that, that, uh, I guess you would say, um, what, what what word am I looking for, Brandon? <laughs> that, that you put them on a pedestal. Uh, they're they're the only sure. other band I put up there with Guns N' Roses. And if someone were to tell me that Deftones was new metal, I would say they're not, they're definitely not new metal. But you listen to their first album, Adrenaline, and it, it's got a little bit of that vibe. But I think that they mm-hmm. transcended that immediately after that, and that's kind of how I see Guns N' Roses. Appetite for Destruction, it had that vibe, but then when they came out with everything after that, you were able to say, wow, this band is is something so much more than uh, any other band in this genre. So that's the way I see it. You know, I, I listen to a Deftones album, and I can't categorize it. I listen to uh, Use Your Illusion or Chinese Democracy, and I, I can't categorize it. Right, right. Well, you know, I think to your, to, to your point, I mean, Tom Zuta, when he was asked to find another Motley Crue or whatever, he was looking for that band. He was looking for a hair metal band, and he found Guns N' Roses, and he saw them initially as a Motley Crue. So he saw a hair metal band, and in his mind, that's what he was kind of, the record label started branding them that way, and I think, and that has a lot to do with business, fashion, branding, and corporatism of rock and roll, but I think their sound, to me, personally, on Appetite and everything else, never sounded hair metal. I think you can make the argument that, you know, they looked hair metal in those early photos and maybe maybe welcome to the jungle but beyond that i think they were a different kind of animal i think they're more hard rock i think they were they envisioned themselves as being more like the next aerosmith or the next zeppelin and not definitely not the next poison or bon jovi and they hated those they personally hated those bands like slash and axel and all those guys they started fights with those bands. their fans would, like i have i know this girl her mom would her mom was a junior fan and she used to hate poison fans and she would, like, fucking pull over in her car and take out, like, bottles of whiskey and shit. Jack Daniels <laughs> bottles. I'm not even kidding. She would take them out of her car and throw them at fucking poison <laughs> A Molotov <It> cocktail. <laughs> I mean, there was that much of a divide between the fan base, you know what I mean? And it was this, like, to me, GNR, whether they were or had elements of it in their sound or look, they stood for something completely different. And it was much more honest and dangerous and, like, real. Whereas, to me, hair metal or certain bands in that genre were very... I don't know. It's like you watch that documentary, man. Decline of decline of Western civilization, the metal years. Mm-hmm. Love refused to be in it, and you know that thing was funny. It was great. It was very entertaining. But you watch that documentary, and you're like, wait, like these guys have nothing in common with Guns N' Roses. None of these none of these guys are anything like Axel. Axel Rose is like this fucking poet, this fucked up Midwestern, dark like Western, almost like Billy the Kid kind of character. And these guys are all just like these Hollywood party rats who like just want to have a good time and fuck and 
you know, like watch fireworks spray down on their fucking hair and shit. Like, <laughs> Axel was like this, like, you know, and then Slash, come on. It's like Adler, the, that's the one guy who embodies hair metal 100%. I agree with you there. Like, yeah. Even Adler was. <laughs> His totally smile, man. Bad. He's a happy dude. Yeah, he was totally hair metal, man. He partied, he smiled, he fucking wasn't really particularly great, quote unquote, as a drummer or technically proficient. And then, you know, even a little bit Duff and his look. But I think Duff was, you know, the least of the hair metal people probably on the strip because he was so punk rock. You even Izzy, but anyway. You mentioned something just uh, quickly that I, I didn't know because I love that documentary, The, the Decline of uh, Western Civilization. Guns N' Roses yeah. was asked to be in that? That's that's yeah the, they were asked they were asked to be in it by yeah the, the director of the documentary Penelope be, yeah asked GNR to be in it and GNR refused to be in it and uh, the reasoning for GNR not being in it it's always been there's like 15 different stories um, you know GNR's probably the public reasoning I don't know if they've ever talked about it, it was probably they didn't want to be associated with that scene um, I mean even Ozzy's in it although Ozzy has yellow hair and, and and Megadeth is in it yes oh dude everyone Motorhead's in it you know what I mean oh like, yeah right legends right yeah that's it's right not, it's not like a, it's not like a you know the documentary doesn't portray hair metal as being like a joke. I think Poison in the in for for whatever reason and I don't know if they're just you know they're just this goofy. But in that documentary, Poison just seemed like really goofy and silly. You couldn't take them seriously. Things they were saying was just like they're like, come on, dude. Like you guys can't really think these things. But you know, I think GNR from and there, it was smart. It was a very smart move. You look back at it, you know, I guess thirty years later that was one of the best marketing or business decisions that band ever made. Because if they were in that documentary, I guarantee you their perception would have been altered greatly over the years. Cause they wouldn't have been portrayed as like what they are now, which is like Zeppelin or the stones or one of those. They would have been portrayed as this like party band, you know, all the songs on appetite that were just about partying. They would just be, those are the songs we'd remember. But I think we remember things like November rain and the honesty and the kind of poetic darkness of that band that I think would have been lost in the hair metal, you know, shit. The only other thing is when you're saying you can't take poison seriously, how about uh, Paul Stanley when he's in the bed with, like, four different women? <laughs> Hard yeah. to take that seriously. See, I love that. See, see, the thing is, I hate having this conversation because then I become the person who hates... The, per the, the perception is I hate that scene, hair metal. But I love it. I fucking love that documentary. I love those bands. I love those ballads. I love fucking Kiss Without the Makeup. I love Warrant. I love, you know, the fucking Cinderella. All those records are great. But I don't think GNR kind of fit into that mold. That being said, you know, I also think we should kind of let GNR choose their own fucking genre. Yeah. And they would never, they would just distance themselves from hard, like hair metal as much as possible. Yeah, it's 2017. So, what do you identify yourself as? You know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> actually, it'll be Caitlin Rose at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I it, also don't think GNR's hair metal, the heavy metal, by the way, I, I feel like there's another thing that. Another discussion people don't have is the heavy metal discussion. It's like, is GNR a heavy metal band? You know, that's another topic. That, yeah, like, I, I actually would say they're not. I, I don't think they are. I consider them a rock band. But you know what? Now yeah. that you bring up uh, Decline of Western Civilization, that just reminds me, man. It's so good. And the only time I ever see it is when it's on, like you said, MTV Classic. I believe it's still mm -hmm. not on Blu-ray or DVD. They, they got to release it's that gotta thing. It's got to be on YouTube or something. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I know the, the person who directed it was the same girl who did Wayne's World. Yep. Yeah. And I, I interviewed her once about it. When Lemmy passed away, I interviewed her about the documentary of Lemmy and stuff. And it, I think that's when I found out about Gene Arcs. I asked her about it, just like, you know, off the record, which I probably, I don't know. I don't think it's a secret, but yeah, they refused to be a part of it. Wait, what was her explanation for why they refused? Um, I, She didn't really give me an explanation. She didn't really want to talk about it. She wanted to kind of focus on Lemmy and she kind of, I, that was just like this, like, 
you know, I'm where she's shooting the shit about the documentary and let me, and I was like, yeah, Gina wasn't, wasn't in that documentary. We're there. I'm like, yeah. She's like, no, we asked them to be in it. They, they weren't a part of it. It was just kind of this, but you know, I think her name's Penelope, Penelope Spiris. Um, she's awesome. She, her decline documentaries, the one about punk and the one about hair metal were just badass. but you know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a conversation. I mean, Eddie Trunk talks, talks about this all the fucking time on his radio show. And it's about, the, he never says hair metal. Hair metal. He'll never use the word, like, or the description of that genre as hair metal. He says '80s rock because he thinks, you know, in, in the '90s when grunge was coming up, hair metal was used by music critics. It was created basically by music critics to kind of denounce and put down I can '80s see that. rock as being very like superfluous and fake and you know fashion focused and not musical. So he says '80s rock. He doesn't want bands like. You know, all the bands that he was into, like Kicks or Vixen, whatever, L.A. Guns and shit, to not, you know, to be treated as, like, this band that's about hair. It's not about hair. It's like, they're fucking great musicians. The, the term grunge was created by the media, too. Nirvana didn't call themselves a grunge band. Right, right. Nirvana was, I mean, Seattle, that whole scene was punk rock. That's all it really was. Sure. Was punk rock, but they called it grunge because... They want to sell T-shirts or whatever. It's stupid. And and all that the, damn media. And all those bands sound different too. I mean, I Alice yeah. and Shane's not very punk rock, but they got thrown into the grunge scene because they were from Seattle. Yeah, anyone from Seattle was a grunge band, and anyone who wore a fucking flannel shirt with like ripped jeans and like boots was a, a grunge rocker. It was so stupid. I remember. I remember growing up in the '90s and watching MTV and see these pop like pop bands, literally like. Anything from like I don't know, ten thousand screaming maniacs or some shit, and like all these people were being lumped into vaguely like pop grunge kind of categories, and I was like, what the what is fucking going on? And like I didn't get it, and I was just turned off by the whole thing. And I think I don't know, I'm just so sick of grunge. I love Kurt Cobain, I love Nirvana, but I think that genre and that explosion in the '90s fucked music up so bad for the next fucking thirty or twenty years. Mm. It's like become this thing of like. You know, what I miss the most about rock and roll, this is what I miss. I don't miss the epic kind of, like, machismo thing. I miss, like, the competitiveness. I miss bands who are trying to be the best fucking band. I miss guitar players who are like, I'm going to become the greatest. I'm going to sell my soul to the fucking devil. You know, I'm going to wear all this fucking jewelry and shit and become the greatest medieval, like, classically influenced guitar player. I'm going to be better than Van Halen. I miss the competitiveness, like, the race car driver aspect of it all. And I think it's become this very, like, yeah, man, we're just going to release, we're going to do our thing. We're going to be mellow and humble. It's this really stupid hipster complex that's destroyed <laughs> to me. It's like destroyed rock and roll complete. I don't know. That's kind of why, I, and I said this in the documentary, the GNR documentary, I told the guys the same thing. I'm like, that's what inspires people like me to, to be so into GNR. And we're so fucking turned off by public radio and this new genre of like the, and I love Pitchfork. I've written for Pitchfork, but this new genre or new perception of rock and roll as being like, you know, it's all the cerebral guys who sit around in their fucking bedrooms with their laptops and create this atmospheric bullshit and look about their feelings. It's like, cool, like, that's great. Like, I like that kind of music, but, you know, the idea that you can't be competitive and you can't be tough and you can't be aggressive and pissed off and that you can't be, you know, talking about girls or you can't be talking about, like, guns and shit and music, fuck that. Like, that's, that's rock and roll. It's heavy metal. It's all about gods and medieval dragons and, like, shit. That's, that's cool to me. Let's bring that back. You know, instead of like putting it down, which is again why I don't like the term hair metal because it puts down '80s rock as this stupid like rock of ages thing, and it's more than that. You know. I don't know what we're yelling about. I think we need to have a roundtable <laughs> discussion with uh, with John Miller about this because there's so many different ways oh God, th that we can go with this. Uh, this I is a maniac. 
<laughs> that guy's an absolute maniac on Facebook, by the way. He's such a, I, half the stuff he says to me, I have no idea what he's trying to say, but it's great. I, I was actually saying that to, to Ian before the show that John writes so well, I feel like I need like a thesaurus and a Webster's <laughs> Dictionary with me just to read his Facebook comments. So that's why, I mean, he's been so great on the air that we can we can go a lot of different ways with this discussion because we spoke about that a little bit just before with uh, with Carla. You know, why? Because they're, they're in, the Butcher Babies are in a much harder band, but would they be accepted opening up for Guns N' Roses and also what, what country you play in depends upon the level of acceptance. So it would just be interesting to get all of our perspectives for a, uh, a future roundtable discussion on uh, Appetite oh, no, Conversation. Yeah. Right on, man. Let's fucking do it. And let's talk shit about Grunge Rock a little bit, too. Let's do that, too. I love it, man. Yeah, and maybe get into new metal since we, I mean, we got into all that this episode, so I enjoy it, man. Yeah, and, Guns uh, N' Roses was new metal for a song. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. You think? Yeah, and the look was kind of new metal with the uh, with the braids, but check out uh, arttavana.com on Twitter at arttavana. I personally am looking very forward to the Rousey article and hopefully the Buckethead article, and you're welcome on here anytime, man. Oh, a quick plug. I got a piece coming out, and I, got, I think you guys would like this. I'm ranking all the Tool songs from, like, the first album, Opiate, awesome. all the way up to 10,000 Days, and it's, like, fucking 50 songs. So that's coming out next week. And good timing, because aren't they going to be uh, touring again now? They they yeah, announced... They're touring again. Yeah, they, they announced a show in New York City. I haven't seen them yet, so I might have to put out the bucks to see them on a festival. Yeah, so with I don't a million know. other bands you don't give a shit about. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I would see Lord and Cage the Elephant, maybe. Uh, but then uh, I'm also hearing that uh, A Perfect Circle is supposed to be touring as yes. well, right? I don't think they're playing anywhere near us in New York, but I, I saw tour dates, yeah. All right, so that, that, that'll be a good article. I look forward to reading that as well. And one quick thing before we bounce, I just want to say Coachella this year has been so fucking disappointing. No fucking rock and roll, like nothing, no classic rock, nothing on the headliners, just a bunch of crap top to bottom. There's some, go- there's some good indie bands, no, no doubt, but I think that they completely turned their back on what they were doing the last two years, a great trend, which is bringing back these cool rock bands like ACDC and GNR. They could have done Metallica this year, they could have done Tool, they could have done anything, and instead they brought, like, they- they're headlining with Beyonce, Kendrick Lamar, and Radiohead, like the three most overrated, horrible artists. <laughs> and it's like this, like, what's happening, man? And they had this opportunity, right? Like, God, it was it was going in this great direction. They were given, like, rock and roll a chance again. And, like, they held their nose to the middle class, and, like the working class kind of musical taste, the same way the people that got Trump elected. And I think, I think this whole festival, to be honest with you, is like a referendum to Donald Trump. And fuck Trump, I'm not a supporter, but I think that, like, music should be more about diversity. And there's hard rock and metal, you know, it's like this, this entire country and the media is turning their back to hard rock and metal. It's like this, like they're holding their nose to it. Like, it's inferior. It's too macho. It's too medieval. It's a joke. And, like, we're not going to book it in our, in our smart, culturally advanced kind of festivals like Coachella. And it's like, well, watch. Watch what's going to happen. It's going to be another – there's going to be a return. Like, I heard someone talking about Cream Magazine possibly coming back. Mm. You know, so – I think there's going to be a blowback to this, this like turning their back on the genre, this type of music fan. So watch out. I hope so. I mean, there's a lot of good festivals around, but you're right. Coachella, for whatever reason, you go from Guns N' Roses to Beyonce. I mean, I guess Slash also has to get information in order to be booked. Yes, I made a Beyonce reference. I don't know how I knew that. 
Uh, yeah, but, no, yeah. you know what that means. <laughs> That's wonderful. It was like the song she did on the uh, the Super Bowl. But uh, now I know though what to uh, to get you for a gift. I'm going to get you a Donald Trump pinata. That's just like the one that Axel brought oh, yeah. out on stage. So all right, right. So bad. I need to fucking destroy that thing. Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love I love the anger and the passion from you, Artivana. I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, dude. Always good to have you on. And no, feel better. You. Feel better. Drink a, a, lots of fluids, okay? I will. See you oh. guys. Later, buddy. I love Art. Yeah, he's, he's great. He, he, especially, again, just the uh, the anger. I don't know what we're yelling about! I identify with it so much, and just things that he says is uh, his disdain towards hipsters and just trying to navigate why things don't make sense to him or why they do. So uh, it's very cool that he found us. On SoundCloud, and he's like, "I got to be on your show." Yeah, okay. He's genuinely, to me, also a deep thinker. The way he makes connections, like the connection of Rousey to Mike Tyson, I Very completely smart. see that. And I think he likes to find like that when he does an article. It's not just about this is this person's accomplishments. This is what we know them for. He likes to get more deep into the character. If you read his article about Izzy, it's about. Why is he this reclusive guy? Why doesn't he go back and do stuff with Guns N' Roses? Why isn't he doing anything in the mainstream? You have to find him to hear his new work. And I think it sounds like he's doing the same with someone like Ronda Rousey. Uh, you know, her, her background, her past. Like I said, I'm sure he'll bring up the fact that her father killed killed himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's part of where her anger comes from. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember, I know you're not as into UFC as me, but when she fought that Betch Cohea, uh chick and, and she did some uh, interview where she said, oh, I hope, uh, I hope Ronda doesn't kill herself after I beat her. Like at that point, that anger came out in Ronda Rousey. She was like, you know that, you know, that's you know what, what my father did. Yeah. And you don't fucking talk about that. So I just, I, I, I like that he digs deep. I really appreciate it. And I would love to hear more about Buckethead, but that's going to be a tough one. It's going to be tough, but I, I look forward to his what's his challenge and the challenge of it and that he's up for it. And I think that's why he's a Guns N' Roses fan, and that's why we have him on here. And that's something that we, we tried to do. It's just what's beneath the surface. Yeah, and why, we who, What makes these people who they are? What makes the music what it is? So I definitely, it's all, it's very weird. It's all kind of connected in some way. Yeah, we don't like that whole shut up and sing thing, as you were saying before. Like, I do want to hear Axel's past. I do like when right. Axel goes on a rant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I kind of wish he talked more on stage now. But, I don't want to see him go on a 20-minute tirade or anything, but, you know, it, it is interesting when you look back on these clips from the 80s and 90s where he talked about his childhood. And I guess, you know, if they play in an arena or stadium, probably more than half the people don't care about that shit. But as a super fan, I do. It depends. It's like what Carlos said. You know, you, you're a voice, and there are going to be people that say, shut up and sing. Just do, you know, this is not what I paid for. But they're the artists. They're, they get to do whatever. And if they do something that people don't like, eventually they'll stop seeing them and they're no longer an artist. So I have a perfect sound clip for this point. What? what? <laughs> you remember in uh, The Wedding Singer, Adam Sandler, where he's like, Well, I have a microphone and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! 
so you will listen to every word. So um, this was a jam-packed episode, so it's very cool. A second episode of 2017, I believe the 14th overall episode of Appetite for Distortion. Uh, we have a lot of plans and hopes and dreams for this this uh, little shindig, little show that we have here. Uh, we've had some great guests on before, so uh, the best way to do it if you want to support us is just to download and listen through iHeart Radio so they know that you know, there's a reason why we're on iHeartRadio's uh, app, which you can get for free on your smartphone, and leave a review on iTunes, and it helps us get ranked and get noticed, and um, and, and yeah, uh, that's only going to mean bigger and better things for us and more things that we can provide you. Uh, also, I guess we should mention this, because we had some before we, we get out of here. Uh, there were corrections that were given to us Oh, the last episode. People have to understand, too, Stall. that the way Brando and I do this is that we're just in front of a microphone. I print out a few notes here and there, but this isn't like writing an article where you can double check everything. We're just here running our mouths, and uh, we're going to get things wrong now and again, and that's okay. Oh, I remember what we got wrong. We, we I remember. Hey, remember Bionic Man? Oh, I remember. I remember. <laughs> we weren't sure uh, if Duff's daughter's band opened up for GNR. She was kind of not using the McCaken namesake, but we didn't learn uh, through you guys. Please definitely correct us through Facebook and Twitter. I believe it was uh, the slash uh, underscore New York um, account on, yeah. on Twitter. So follow follow them, and we appreciate, you know. And then it's not even like in the troll way. Hey, guys, you got this information wrong, man. It's like, no, we like, really like the episode, but in fact, actually, this did happen. So yeah. we appreciate that. And we'll always give you credit because we, 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 you know, we're, we're all in the same show together, I look at it like. Yeah, the only point I will say is I guess the reason I got that wrong is that if you look at her artist page and that type of stuff, she doesn't mention, like, hey, Duff McKagan's my dad, uh, Guns N' Roses, like she's trying to make it on her own merits and it's a very different kind of music and I guess that's why I didn't think there was any actual connection of them getting on the same stage, but I was wrong. And I didn't know at all, so you beat me. You got <laughs> half credit, I got zero credit. So uh, again, thank you so much for listening to Appetite for Distortion. I am Brando, that is Scotto. Uh, follow us again at the AFD Show on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we're on iHeartRadio's app for free. Uh, through the App Store on your smartphone, iTunes, leave a review, and the next time, well, we never know. So, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Brando and Scotto, dissecting all things Guns N' Roses on Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.